I love monsters that the players don't know. Um, basically, new monsters. Um, in my recent campaign, the players came across a creature. I think it's called a gorgon, which is not oh, yeah. which yeah. is not like Medusa. Like I thought it was, and then I was reading the stats, and I'm like, this makes no sense at all. It's like this metal bowl, kind of a mechanical mm-hmm. thing. And the players are all like, hey, well, what's this? Like, we're just gonna pile on it and kill it, like we do everything else. And then it blows <laughs> out this breath weapon that like has a chance to paralyze them. And, like, everything yes. changed. And the players were like, oh, my gosh, don't stand in a line anymore. Um, and so then for the next... And it actually, it's in a big cone. And so the next time they fought one, like, several sessions later, they just all hid behind walls, like, line of sight to, to hide from it. But it was just cool to see their their cocky confidence come crumbling down. Yes. I love that there's an unexpected, like, what?! You know, even though I hate this moment, is so dumb, but what came to mind is, they fly now? They fly now! They fly now! They fly now! <laughs> they fly now! <laughs> Just like that. But but that realization that there's um, another mechanic that they weren't thinking about, mm-hmm. oh, that's so mm-hmm. fun to reveal that to the players. They're like, oh, oh crap, run! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 66, Better Monsters. Because monsters. we all need monsters in our life. Let's do the do. monster mesh. Uh, so, yeah. Jake, why, why do we need monsters in our, in our D&D game? Uh, monsters are just like this inherent... That I don't know, since the dawn of our species, there's always been this kind of scary thing in the woods that we're looking out for. And and so even, you know, when we're imagining as as kids, we're like, there's always dragons to slay and beasts to fight off. And so yeah, monsters are just like a really huge part of the of the flavor of D D. And they're yeah, just vital. You I don't know if you can have a uh, let me switch it around. Is it possible to have a game without monsters? A D D game? Um, yeah. I mean, based on the definition of monster in the monster manual, which is just sort of anything that's not a player, um, even a political game could have some fighting uh, and therefore it would technically have monsters. True. I've, I've always think, thought of monsters as like non, like are villains and monsters the same thing? Uh, in D&D parlance, yes it is, though I would personally disagree. I think yeah, monsters I are just like the inherent, um. Uh, like incarnation of the idea of like good versus evil. So like you can't really tell a story without having like that core conflict and the yeah. monsters are the embodiment of that whether they take the form of like a creepy like nine-headed dragon or you know just like some guy who's a murderer. <laughs> I'm just, just thinking like, of the Hercules Bless my soul, Herc was on a roll. And just like the, the montage of uh, Hercules slaying all the creatures. <laughs> I think the real question is, can you have heroes without monsters? Ooh. Well, if you're playing, uh, let's say, Warhammer Fantasy RPG, everyone is kind of a monster, even the player characters. Yeah. Or actually, even in 5e, when players are, you know, col- colorful bird folk or half-elemental monstrosities, they, yes. they would, would also qualify as monsters. Would they though? <laughs> well, being a Genasi is a monster. I, in my experience, most um, most of the time, the biggest source of evil and chaos in a campaign is not the villain, but the players. 
<laughs> oh man, you got some evil players. <laughs> um, I mean, anyway. So I would suggest that because a third of the core rule books is all about monsters, um, that we should talk about them at least one third of the time. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, yeah. Fighting monsters is fun. And, uh, and I think that it's about time we talk about ways to make monsters even more fun, particularly in um, prepping them and in uh, how the players interact with them. Yeah. I, I think um, a really important as always, uh, the same advice is communication is key. And so talking with your players and be asking them what kind of challenge do they want in their monsters, I think is a, a really good tip because if you have, I've had groups that really love to just like do backflips and do quips and like kill monsters and not, not really break a sweat. Um, and you know, when I've actually challenged them, they've been kind of upset Salty. about it like they it looked like they weren't mm. having a good time when they were getting their asses kicked it was really interesting um and then i've had other tables where it's the complete opposite they're like ah that was that wasn't much of a challenge let's go deeper into the woods you know to find something uh that'll mm. challenge us more so it's uh it, it's really important to talk with your group and, and just kind of play with your group to know what kind of balance they want in their monsters because they don't want to be annihilated but they don't want it to be just a simple, easy cakewalk either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that for uh, 5e, where the player characters are very powerful, it can be difficult, maybe, at least in my experience, for the GM to be able to challenge their skills. Because um, if we want to have this really fun power fantasy, you need challenge, and you need to actually like overcome challenges. Because like you're saying, if everything is a cakewalk, then that's boring. Yeah. So I want to have a special shout out um, to anyone who is interested in running monsters in a more realistic, uh, maybe we'll say lore-centric way. There's a blog um, that is now actually a published book as well called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. And uh, what this is... It's uh, so good. Yes. He, he did a deep analysis of how a creature might attack and coordinate with their allies. Um, for instance, um, I would recommend... Just reading this now. Read along if you can. Goblins. He looks at their stat block, looks at their lore, and he says, Goblins should probably never be fighting with a sword hand-to-hand. Like, they're the size of a child. They're as strong as a (laughs) child. Um, In a fair fight, they're going to lose. So he says what they should do, and and they have uh, the disengage ability, and they have like a bonus to stealth, I think. Um, All they should be doing is hiding, popping up to attack with a bow, and hiding again. And if somebody closes the distance, they would just disengage, run, and then hide again. Once you realize that this makes total sense, and this is within the lore mm-hmm. of Five E, uh, yeah, that's what they actually would do. <laughs> that's what they would have to do to survive. Because if you like, I've run goblins like a fool, where I'm like, oh, like ten goblins rush in hand to hand and they start stabbing at you, and then they all die in one round of combat. Like that's not. Yeah. <laughs> that, if they will be extinct if they use tactics like this. Or they're yeah, going to wait till you're asleep to come in and attack you. Exactly. Use your stealth to, like, slit your throat. Yep. Yeah, the verisimilitude of them not being cannon fodder, because we oftentimes use um, them that way. And and obviously there are room for those cannon fodder type verisimilitude of, like, you know, demons or robots or just things, zombies, mm-hmm. um, that would go towards the player no matter what. But, like... I love the way that this uh, blog and 
now book, which I'm probably going to get, uh, really digs into just the the mindset of each monster um, mm-hmm. and how they, depending especially on their like their intelligence level, how they would behave in combat is just like it seems so obvious once you think about it, mm-hmm. but you oftentimes rarely get into the mind of the monster other than just like their abilities and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just very practical and usable. Uh, and, and it gets pretty scary when you see something like uh, how would a mind flare really attack? And um, yeah. And, and it's like what spells would they have? And, and so on. I think they have spells, uh, but he breaks it down and, and he actually recognizes a lot of discrepancies in the stat block um, for instance, I can't think off the top of my head, um, but there's some monsters that have abilities or, or scores. I think it was like manticores are very intelligent because uh, they can talk, but they can't. Uh-huh. Um, they don't really make tactical decisions according to the the lore. I could be remembering that wrong, but there's like some weird stuff where he's like, "Yeah, that doesn't make any sense um, for this yeah. to be this way." So he he makes recommendations for changes to make it more realistic Balanced. let's say verisimilitudinous if that's a word <laughs> verisimilitudinous <laughs> plausible um yeah no i really love exploring that line between you know we we joke about it but like our goblins truly sentient or i guess the correct term is like sapient <laughs> like at what point it, does a monster make like conscious tactical decisions like at what point is a monster not thinking like an animal or an automaton well i mean even animals are pretty good at hunting like you look at like a lion or like uh, any like sort of big cat like they're pretty good at stalking their prey and waiting for an opportune moment same thing with wolves they have pack tactics like for sure but there is a line between like a wolf and a goblin yeah and it's like what does a goblin have does it have a soul (laughs) right these guys are like using tools and, and trading with other tribes um yeah, it, it is quite a question. I I like um, so actually I, I don't didn't plan on mentioning this game as much as I have, but in uh, the Warhammer Fantasy Universe, orcs are an objective evil. Like um, you cannot uh-huh. bargain with them, trade with them, or talk to them. Like they simply want to kill. And um, years ago, I saw that and I thought it was just overly reductive and, and dumb. But now, like, it really solves a lot of problems for a D and D world of having an enemy that that is more like a, um, a yes, vermin yes. or a pest, like just a blight on the world um, because they're so dangerous and insane. Especially in 5e. That's why I think it works well, uh, you know, hordes of zombies or like going into hell and fighting demons. Like there's the kind of, I mean, the same reason like Saturday morning cartoons have uh, villains that are always like robots or mm. uh, zombies or animals. So it, they're never actually like killing like people. <laughs> Right. But yeah, and you can look up uh, Orc Tactics as well. Uh, once again, that blog is called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. It's good. Check it out. All right. Uh, so in my travels and my research for this episode, um, I was reminded of, um, j- don't be mad, Jake, but I was reminded of 4th edition D&D. <coughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Sickness is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this edition was less popular let's say and and it, i think it was very flawed uh it did have some good design elements and i i think perhaps the most important innovations they made was with their monster design have you heard of this jay okay yeah don't they have like like subclasses or like classifications so you can like do a math of like 
this many minions and this many flyers and this many something like that. That yeah, that's uh, ballpark accurate. Um, what they did is they split up the monster called monster rolls into um, I think there's eleven classifications, which sounds like a lot. And we when we get further into this conversation, you'll see you don't really need all eleven, but it's important to help you think about how a combat is designed. Um, mm-hmm. Something else that's really cool is they had um, within one type of monster, let's say orcs, they would give you two or three or even four uh, monster roles within that type. So um, let's for orcs, you could have sort of your, your skirmishing orcs, your orcs that cast spells, orcs that ride mounts and flank. Yeah, yeah. And they all have different enough stats that it's a very interesting combat. Compare that to like when 5e came out and you get one type of work only and it's up to the gm to figure out like how they would want to alter that yeah and and no i i really like that and since then like we've obviously gotten a lot more expanded uh monster books and so we like at this point in 5e in 2020 we have um i think there's like four let me uh do a quick dnd beyond search for work and see how many we have oh there's um quite a few i see <laughs> ghost orc sea orc I see eight different types of orcs now, which is pretty cool. Um, anyway, okay, so let's get into the monster rules. Um, so the first one is artillery. Now, what do you what do you think this means? Uh, boom, 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 like uh, rangers. Yeah. Anybody who has ranged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, it's low hit points, high range damage. Easy enough. Um, and I have examples of all these that I actually pulled out of the fourth edition monster manual that I own for some reason as a PDF. <laughs> um, but the examples that that game provides is just like an archer, bandit, a mage, uh, and a fire giant who's hurling uh, stones at you um, that are, oh, of course, on yeah. fire. Uh, next, we have a brute. What do you think that is? Tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, examples include uh, giants and like a bear in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have high, it says here, high health and high damage. So they're not like you know, just soaking hits and, and doing very little damage. These are actually pretty dangerous uh, Hulk kind of creatures. Next, we have yeah. controllers, and this one was less obvious to me. Um, I would say like a bard probably is something like this, but as a monster, a controller buffs its allies, protects them, and then just hides, usually behind a wall of, um, huh. of other people. Like the Archvile in Doom. Actually, yes. We're just this, this pain-in-the-butt creature that's like teleporting around and buffing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In 4th edition, the Gibbering Mouther is an example of a controller, which just gives me chills to think that, uh, um, oh. let's say there's a group of goblins. I'm seeing, like, The Last of Us style, like, infected goblins um, that gain strength from the nightmarish gibberings of the of the Gibbering Mouther. Oh. <laughs> um, th- I think David will like this one. Uh, Lurker is a classification. Oh, that's what they call me. <laughs> um, a lurker is a stealthy assassin that strikes exactly where you don't want them to. Um, mm. Examples include a panther, an assassin, uh, most mm. fey creatures, and even a gargoyle. Because it's you know it's True. not clear that it's even a creature until it moves and oh, attacks yeah. you. Uh, these these are great to come in later, like unexpectedly, like you know starting a battle. You're like ah, just a few bandits. And <laughs> Ow. What hit my neck? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly there's three assassins behind your yeah. your line, your tank line. Um, you mentioned this, Jake. Minions. Uh, very useful. 
um, if you watch Matt Colville, he's he's always talking about this, where a minion is identical to any other monster, um, but it just has one hit point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your goblins, orcs, kobolds, skeletons, cannon fodder, really. Yeah. Um, so essential. They are essential, and uh, and they make a combat you gotta feel... Have your tool belt. They make the combat feel more robust without being yeah. really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because then your casters get to cast, let's say, a flame strike or a cone of cold or something, and kill like literally fifteen things, and you don't have to track the HP for fifteen targets. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so they removed these from five E, and I, I kind of wish they hadn't. I think they did it just as kind of a political acquiescence to uh, the outrages of the community at the time. Yeah, but they are great. Yeah. Um, next is skirmishers. Um, see these rolls like. Because I came from World of Warcraft once upon a time, and Same. these roles don't really fit into that. But I think in in the sense of Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's pretty nice. Like tank DPS heals. Yeah, real of. easy with with WoW. Um, and we'll talk about how you can just apply that kind of trifecta to your game without getting into the nitty gritty of all this stuff. So next is skirmishers. These are high mobility flankers. Um, examples include orc raiders, were rats, doppelgangers, um, which is di- even enemies that could fly. Yeah, I think so. Um, they're just made to get in there and like just lock you into an engagement while the uh, the controller is buffing them and the artillery is raining hell upon you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, now I'm not sure the um, the difference here between a skirmisher and a soldier, which is our next one. A soldier is defined as a high accuracy, low damage um, target that hampers enemy movement. An example: uh, the only one I found was a ghoul. I'm sure there's more. Um, but I just like so they the, just like kind of get in the way. They're like bodies. I guess so. And so like it says high accuracy, low damage. Um, so it's like they're always hitting you, just like needling away at your HP and slowing you down. Huh. Um, yeah. Maybe like attack of opportunities. I, I would crowd these around my artillery and controllers just to mm-hmm. be annoying. Um, and then these last two. Uh, so we have elite monsters, but that can be anything. So. Um, it just counts as two of one monster, kind of a mini boss. So you have your uh, yeah. your orcs, and they you know they fit their different roles, and and obviously let's say the the controller, the the caster, sort of a orc eye of Grumpsh. Um, oh yeah, chieftain. Yep, he's sitting back there, and uh, he's just he's he's essentially two orcs in one body. I love it. And then going uh, up more. Speaking of multiple monsters in one body they have a classification called solo creature uh, and this is a monster that is the same challenge rating as five monsters that's how the math works out their examples are obviously dragons umber hulks stone golems um, and they're designed in such a way that they have the same or more attacks as five monsters so they're just a real uh (laughs) a feast of a beast yeah bosses yeah i love solo um and then there's leaders which see some of these cross over i think because an elite monster and a leader to me sound very similar um uh-huh. but a leader says high defense close range control and buffs allies there there's a lot of crossing over and i think that for our purposes i would just probably condense a lot of these and then the last one of course is um elite which is just a beefier version and i think this is just it's a niche of a niche because i think that an elite monster um and a leader and a solo, and even like a brute are, are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on this, boys? I, I like it. I mean, I, I, I don't like, I mean, I probably, obviously I don't like the system design a lot of 4E, but I'd really like the 
thinking about a battlefield in these terms kind of changes the way you design encounters. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a really good encounter, be like, ooh, if I had a lurker here too, they would never expect it. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, this guy, uh, this uh, like controller with this amount of minions would just be so annoying and so hard to hit because <laughs> they couldn't get to it, right? And so thinking about designing encounters with these kind of roles in mind, I think is really helpful. Um, I think a- another kind of similar thing I've done is thought about the enemies, especially if they're like humanoid enemies, like a competing uh, adventuring party is think of what classes the enemies are. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, if you have, uh, if you're attacking three fighters, that's going to be way different than if you're attacking, say a druid, uh, a bard and a warlock, like those are going to behave differently. Um, and so I really like thinking about the roles and how you can tactically make things more challenging and more fun, um, and just more dynamic, uh, for your combat encounters. Yeah. I think it's, it's such a simple thing to be like, okay, well, who is like, where are my ranged attackers? Where are my tanks? Um, where's like my, my big boss guy, my brute. Yeah. Um, and just very simply, um, what I like to do is I kind of just think through, and I like to use goblins cause they're just so easy. Like, what does a goblin artillery look like? I would say probably goblins should be artillery all the time. Uh, what does a goblin brute look like? He's like genetically engineered. Um, maybe it's a bunch of goblins holding on to each one. other. He's just the big one. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> um, says high hit points, high damage. Like the goblin king is some, you know, grotesque, obese, um, yeah. nightmarish thing. Um, and thinking of that role, you kind of start to think about how to change their statistics to reflect that. And then I'll talk about how to do that within the actual rules of, of D and um, in a way that I just am very impressed with. Mm-hmm. I, so I think this is interesting. I think it's like monster basics, like one one. like this is like at the bare minimum, like what you need to run, know to like run monsters. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that the monster manual does a very poor job of preparing you for running different types of creatures in combat. I think it gives you a bunch of stat blocks, and unless you know what you're doing, they're not really that useful. It doesn't provide any um, sort of uh, creative like notes or advice on how to specifically run monsters to get the most value out of them. I, th- I think that a lot of, from what I've seen, like from re- hearing about other people's games like online or in person, like it's a lot of the times like game masters are just like on autopilot just like all right the goblins just like run and attack you mm-hmm. yeah like and it's it's more of a lack right, of like, goblin creative... number three is up he attacks brand okay yeah yeah and this is like this is like getting into the basics of like oh you should probably have like the rangers actually use their bows and mm-hmm. like use the ranged attacks and and you stealth and yeah and yeah, i think imp- i think monster encounters would be so much more interesting if Dungeon Masters actually started thinking about the encounters like players do. Because players are very creative. And they're very uh, like methodical tactical. about how they do things. And they're tactical. And the, the Dungeon Masters are just like, alright, here's just a bunch of boys. Just go kill them. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, David, I completely agree with you. And I think yeah. the reason that is, is because uh, all that stuff that is kind of necessary for running monsters is in the Dungeon Masters guide and not in the monster manual. That's and true. And I almost think... D&D would have been better if they split the Dungeon Master's Guide in half and had stuff for running the game and, like, uh, mechanical stuff with a player's handbook. 
like combined mm. and then stuff for running the monsters and encounter design and traps and stuff with the monster manual. I, I think that, yeah. that would have almost been obviously they probably would have made less money, but I think it would have been more dynamic in like, okay, this is the how to run monsters and and the rules for that combined. And then here's the the one for the all the players and the dungeon master needs to know for the the other book. Yeah. Like also when I think about it, I think that if you have a balanced encounter, like I think if I'm like trying to like beat the players, like I could pr- if it's a, like if it's an even encounter, I could probably beat the players about half the time if it's balanced, like you know if it's fair. But I feel like a lot of encounters feel very one-sided towards the players because it's just a lack of creativity on like running monsters. I it's think probably just it's probably a health tax. For, yeah, uh, for a, a lot of the, it is like health tax, uh, and so many times yeah. like you're given the ability to like sneak up on monsters just like for free, and you don't. So you get that like surprise round bonus like for nothing. Like yeah, the amount of work that you have to put into to get the advantages that the players get is like it's very easy mm-hmm. to like yeah. to just roll over things. So. Mm-hmm. I had, for better or for worse, yeah. I had a, uh, I don't know if I was going to implement this, but I certainly thought about it a lot for one of my, probably my last 5e game, where I wanted to actually recruit David um, to sort of help me design encounters. And what that would look like is I'm like, okay, here's the situation, here's like the keep the players are going to go in, here's the map of the thing. And like, you're a bunch of goblins, hobgoblins, whatever the creatures are. Where would you place yourself to be optimally defended and how would you attack and then and then having david at the table when um the combat happens to only control monsters um not in a overarching like i'm the omnipotent general and i'll you know sacrifice my last man (laughs) Um, but in like what would this group of monsters actually do to stay alive and to win every fight and i think that would be because i'm not i'm really not that good at tactical stuff at the table Um, i am that gm who's like okay all the goblins just rush in yeah, it, it does take a surprising amount of wavelength, uh, and that's why I think David David is a very tactical dungeon master, mm-hmm. and some of David's fights that he has uh, DM'd for have been very dynamic and interesting with different enemy roles that surprise you or, or work together in tandem to really be like tactically brilliant. Um, but that's what kind of dungeon master David is, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of dungeon masters, especially people who are just picking up a monster manual being like, oh, I could run this, are not thinking that way. And no. I think there's a lot missing. And I think, I think, I think David is like, of, this yeah. is obvious, but I don't think it's <laughs> obvious to a lot of people. No. Well, I think <laughs> I think you have to, like, think about it differently. You, you kind of have to change your mindset and you have to, like, you have, you have to start thinking like a player. You have to be scrappy. You have to, like, you have to, like, start taking advantage of, um, like, I, I, think, I think Dungeon Masters are very loose about, like, certain rules. And you have to start, like, holding players more accountable in that respect. So, like, uh, making stealth harder, like sneaking up on things, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or even just using stealth yourself on with the creatures. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they're not, they're not just, like, most of the time a monster isn't just going to be sitting around a campfire waiting for someone to ambush them. Right. Like, they're going to well, be out I, doing things. One of my favorite be, things yeah. like that is, like, having a, uh, uh, a guard that's, like, guarding a camp, but they're stealthed. And so when mm. the players come up, they're doing perception checks, but like if they don't get high enough, they don't see the guard. So they're like sneaking up and there's like, uh, it's like that meme where it's like the person in the church and there's uh, someone behind oh, the them with sniper. A gun, and then there's someone behind them with a gun. And then there's 
<laughs> but yeah, being uh like um actually smart and sneaky and like David said earlier, wanting to win. Like th- there's this sort of uh you know fight till the last man, you know, once more unto the breach that really doesn't make sense for a lot of monsters. Like they should mm-hmm. be trying yeah. to win and if they're losing they should be trying to survive. Yep, and retreat and it's like, oh, did the fight, like, last long enough to, like, feel like you actually accomplished something? Like, all right, they just roll over and die now. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost, like, I think it'd be fun to, like, if I was, like, a villain in Will's next game, and I was, like, like controlling, I don't know, like, some evil faction. And well, I'm, we've like, done that before, g- or just, where? like, had a player who his, his character went turned evil, and then, like, he played him when he returned as a villain. And that was a, just a delight. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting to like see that happen. Oh, I'd be very into into that. It makes me think of uh, Matt Colville has said in one of his campaigns there was another player from like years ago in the same world um, who was now like a duke of some land and he had his own army. And uh, the players were like contacting him, asking for some something. And so he texted him. He was like, "Hey, here's the situation. What would your character do?" And the guy, <laughs> and the guy just like sent back a message that was a lie of like, "I'm going to send my army and help." And then he never did that. And he's like, "Yeah, like this is what um, this is what he would do." <laughs> I love stuff like that where it's like because you you really expect um, in D and D especially especially Vivi like storytelling beats that will kind of just like turn um very anti first uh half of game of thrones um very pro last half of game of thrones where like things just start working out and there's not a lot of betrayal there's not a lot of like wait that's not supposed to happen in a fantasy story sort of situation right and as we talked about in um our bonus episode about the total party kill um Mm -hmm. sometimes there are just meaningless deaths Yes. And sometimes you think that you're the hero of the story and you're just some unwashed idiot who got in the way of the real main <laughs> character. And I think that like having David in this example um, running monsters that are trying always to win, um, it would yeah. definitely be such a different type of game. It, it, it would. It would be like it would playing be an experiment. I would like to see that experiment at some point. It would. It would be like playing um, Divinity Two: Original Sin, where that game is so oh. rock hard. Like just yeah. fighting a bunch of like crocodiles, there's a pretty good chance you'll die. Um, <laughs> and you can quick save and quick load in that game. You can't do that in D and D. All right, um, let's talk about building our own monsters, and I have um, a couple of different ways yes. of doing that. So. Um, Jake, would you care to... Oh, dude. So, some of the things I have really enjoyed from the last, um, module I ran, which was Dungeon of the Mad Mage, is I'm thinking, okay, this guy, Halister Black Cloak, is just crazy, and he loves to do experiments, so they would run across all sorts of, uh, monsters that were really just reskinned or reflavored other monsters, or they were buffed, or they were changed, or they were customized, or whatever, and I had so much fun, you know, just like... You know, uh, a, a two-headed owl bear shows up, <laughs> and it's like I just love doing stuff like that. And all I did was like double the owl bear's attacks, um, and oh, it was a delight. Like I, I just love altering, customizing, uh, messing with the stat blocks um, and the behavior of monsters because that's just there's so much to do there. You know, like seeing you know an elephant with six trunks. 
Like, <laughs> uh, and all, all of them are holding a gun. Or <laughs> <No. laughs> you just like... see a big orc with a sword and he starts casting a spell. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, surprise. things that... Um, You're just like, yeah, what just is he that, doing? That uh... Surprise. I just love when players enter combat. They start the combat. They think it's normal. And they're like, wait, what? Like... They fly now! Oh, this person turns into a werebear. Or, <laughs> oh, this person was actually a... Uh, you know, an abolith in disguise or whatever. Like, I just love when they're surprised, like when they thought the combat was going to be one thing and it ends up being another. So yeah, I, I love changing monsters um, to be more surprising and more fun. Yeah. That's um, sort of what I was talking about in my favorite monster encounter is just like, because there is this tendency, especially if you've been playing d a while, for the players to know what all the monsters are. I know what a goblin yeah. does. I know what a kobold does. I even know, like... This is how an owlbear encounter goes. I know, like, yeah, I know yeah. what you on T do. And, um, and so it's easy to slip into, like, that rote behavior of, like, um, all right, it's a, it's a, uh, a troll. I'm going to make sure you use fire so it doesn't regenerate, blah, blah, blah. Yawn. And you're like, oh, yeah, this troll <laughs> is actually healed by fire. And another smaller troll springs yes. off the wound and is now growing into a full <laughs> troll. And the players are like, what? That is the best thing ever. <laughs> oh, I love that. Classic fire troll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But- I, I think um, people really get, they, they get all riled up about this, especially online, about what monsters do. And just like reskinning, reflavoring, I think, uh, has become more and more okay. Especially even with uh, player characters and like their abilities, just reflavor it as this or, oh, just have that spell do fire damage instead of frost damage. Mm-hmm. Like, I think D&D 5e has really leaned into the customizableness of it, despite not really... Yeah. Maybe maybe it hasn't leaned into it, but it's really open for customization. Like, reflavoring, mm-hmm. reskinning doesn't change much, and it can make the flavors so much better. And it's always easier to modify than it is to create... Um, like yep. my recommendation is let's say you need um oh I don't even know just like a tanky monster to fight just take the stats of a bear or something big appropriate for your yeah. player's level um and as long as the CR is fine and uh, if the CR is comparable uh, and now you have your brute goblin with claws and it's just yeah it's a bear but you're just going to call it a giant goblin easy um and then yeah. you know makes minor alterations if you feel like you need them poison claws whatever like it's they're your oats you can use them how you want yep 100% agree yeah and if you're not modifying then you can always create and i have two methods of creation um i'm calling the first flavor first and then mechanics first so it's all it's huh, kind of okay. your yeah. starting point of where to create something so flavor first jake what does that sound like to you so that's like you have an idea of like, oh, I have a haunted house that has uh, uh, yeah, like a lava theme. And so <laughs> you're, you're trying to think. <laughs> lava ghosts. <laughs> so you're trying to think of something like, oh, what does the final boss look like? Um, so I wanted to have psychic powers or this. So you're thinking of the flavor, basically exactly what it says on the tin. The flavor <laughs> first. <laughs> so um, I think of it as the the lore is inspiring the mechanics first, like in this way. Yes. Um, so I like to start with questions because questions just always help me process through things. Um, so like you're saying, let's t- let's instead of a haunted house, we'll say it's a spooky swamp. The players are traveling through the swamp um, during the unpredictable rising of the mysterious blood moon. Um, folks say that it was a battlefield and yet 
the dead still haunt the icy waters. So my question is, like, what kind of creatures would lurk in this swamp in this situation? Yeah, I mean, you could do anything. I'm thinking you could have a werewolf theme and, like, oh, the blood blood moon does something uh, even crazier to werewolves. Is that part of the lore? Do werewolves behave different during a blood moon? Um, I know it's just a full moon. I don't know. I, I'm. I would. Oh man. I would say as a GM, absolutely, so. they would need to behave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's what I gravitated towards. But I mean, you could. Yeah. What kind of spooky creatures lurk here? I building on that uh, the super werewolf thing. Um, I like mm-hmm. that idea that like werewolves become just the most powerful thing for one night only. Um, and obviously, blood moon is pretty rare. I don't even know what causes that. Some. Um, space. Maybe it's a planets. ritual that was, that someone was doing. So then, for Ooh, yeah. for our stats, we're just going to pick a werewolf out and then buff it up. And we we'll give it all yeah. kinds of spooky abilities. Maybe uh, like we talked about the ice water. Maybe you could have um, like a zombie werewolf that is just icy touch. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love that. So yeah, it's it's pretty easy, and that's a great starting point. Next is the mechanics first. Uh, so here's I'm gonna get a little bit into math here, um, but just stay strong. Um, I would also recommend opening your DMG, turn to chapter nine in your DMG under the section called Creating Quick Monster Stats, and there's a table called Monster Statistics by Challenge Rating. So I encourage you if you're not driving, uh, definitely turn to that page or open your DMG Beyond to there because it'll make a lot more sense with what I'm saying. Um, So I I got this technique from the Angry GM blog, uh, with which I have a love-hate relationship, but overall it is mostly (laughs) love. Um, So he recognized this interesting mathematical quirk of monster building that I will now explain. Challenge rating is the average of the monster's offensive challenge rating and defensive challenge rating. So all you got to remember, there are these two factors, offensive, defensive, and the challenge rating overall is the average of the two. So... This means that if their offense and defense are both four, then the average is four. That is an, mm-hmm. a balanced monster. However, the average of two and six is also four. Let's say it's two defense, six offense. You already have a very different okay. monster. But but the fight might last longer be, or because it's more defensive. Exactly. It's like a turtle it now. It's just like yeah, it's like snapping yeah. at your ankles and it's got this huge like pool of health. But it's still the same CR. Or you could do three and five. Uh, we did two and six. You could do one eighth and eight, all average to four. So you can build your encounter that way. So the reason this is important is because if you're looking at this table <clears throat> that we've turned to in the DMG, um, you can easily see, like under the defensive section, let's go to um, let's go to one eighth defense and go to eight offense. So <sighs> so it's got a teeny proficiency bonus. It'll probably miss you thirteen armor class and up to thirty five health. But the offense has got a plus seven to attack. It can do up to yeah. 56 damage in one round. and saves on a 16 for most saves. So this is your one-shot assassin lurker who just... It will die if it gets hit, yeah. probably, with so little health. No, I, I love this. But this is yeah. a perfectly and, and, balanced encounter. Yeah, I love CR4. mixing and matching. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, yeah, having offense versus defense. And I, I think, on average, I tend to make my CRs be more offense-heavy. Mm. Like because I want the fights to be deadlier, scarier, you want and them to bleed shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and and I want them to to yeah really get hurt, really be scary for them to be like, oh crap, we gotta maybe even run. But like, I don't want the fight dragging on for three hours, especially if it's not even like a story moment. Right, uh, David, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's a good like starting point for figuring out five E specific stats. Yes. So if you have no idea of how to make something and you don't want to copy and paste it from another creature, which honestly, that's what I would recommend is just look at other creatures around that area and kind of mash it together. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. if you're if you want to make sure it's like the most I guess balanced, then looking to this table is a good good place to start. Yeah. This is, uh, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. Mike Merles had just this uh, this table from the DMG on his DM screen. Like, this is one of the only things there because it lets you create oh, a really? monster. Yeah, yeah, it was like on Twitter somewhere. Um, but it lets you create Honestly, that's a, a balanced idea. monster. Yeah, right because there. Because you can yeah. do things on the fly and you don't ever have to look up monster stat blocks. You can just kind of improvise it as you go. And you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, this monster has this now. Their, their huh, save is yeah. like DC, you know, whatever. I think that's a that's a really good idea. If you if you really mm. confident in your on the fly, like that would be something that I'd do. That's actually yeah. really good. Because then uh, yeah. the flavor is up to you to be like, oh, like my my flaming ghost troll, um, <laughs> you know, should be like a challenge rating ten, but I'm gonna give it like, um, I don't even know, like a five five defense and. Uh, well, and sometimes you just want to make like a bunch of zombies on the fly, and you don't want to have to like turn to the zombie book, or you, you know, maybe you want to add them having like a, some sort of like stronger attack because it is a blood moon after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think yeah, this is a, this is really handy. Yeah. The more I think yeah, about really it, the more cool. I like it. <laughs> I got David's approval. Got him hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> oh no, he's got me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's that gives you a mathematical backing within the system to uh, to do stuff. Because I know that in the past I've advocated for just like doubling a monster's health or damage, and um, while that might work for a kind of a fast and loose um, monster on the fly, depending on the CR, doubling the health or damage could really cause problems uh, and make it really yeah. swingy. So yeah, yep, swingy is that. the right word. Yeah. <laughs> My goblin just one-shot my level 5 paladin somehow. <laughs> somehow. Right, and uh, so in this episode, I've already mentioned this uh, twice already, um, I, I've really recently fallen in love with the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay system. It's great. I think everybody should at least look at it, uh, specifically the way they create creatures, um, which feels because of uh, WFRPG's backing in uh, in war games, like table uh, wargaming uh-huh there the rpg takes a lot of inspiration from that in the minimalism of a stat block so we talked about the roles a monster can have in combat and i just want to shout out some of the uh the traits from this game and some traits actually from 5e that are still really good so if you're okay. in the uh in your dmg already which you should be all the time should never be closed if you are a dungeon master <laughs> um turn to chapter nine and there's a heading called creating a monster stat block and there is um, a section called traits. So, um, Jake, what are some traits that are in 5e? Um, yeah, so traits are these little rules that give monsters like special powers or abilities. 
um, like, uh, for example, innate spellcasting, uh, spider climb, things like that, that, um, they're some, a lot of them are kind of like spells or like abilities, but yeah, they're just called traits. Yeah. It's like and, feats for mon- monsters is the way. I right. And I'm, yeah. sh- I'm shocked at how few there are. Cause when I was doing the research for this episode, there's only a handful of them and that's like swimming, flying. Um, I, I think they tried to make them more spells like, mm-hmm. um, like they, they didn't want to give so much traits and abilities and have a lot more monsters that could like, you know, do spider climb by casting that spell instead of like having it as an innate ability. Right. And I, I get that desire because, um, it's easy to judge 5e on its like its design sins now years later. Yeah. But like when the game was created back in oh gosh, what, 2014 at this point. <laughs> um Yeah, 13 14. Yeah, like this was a really good solution for keeping that crunch away from the game and making it feel more like the, you know, more like something that's not 4th edition. <laughs> keeping the crunch away. <laughs> it really is that. It really is that. No crunchers. Yeah. Begone crunch. No crunchers. <laughs> Oops, all crunch. <laughs> um, all right, so um, I think that Warhammer Fantasy RP, um, it utilizes traits a lot more, and this will feel more like the feats list from 5e. Like, they're just these little, um, I, I think Jeremy, or, uh, yeah, I think Jeremy Crawford calls them uh, tiny little rules, little snippets that you just kind of paste onto your character sheet. Uh-huh. Um, so for monsters here, uh, I'm just gonna run down a short list. Some of my highlights here. Um, you can make your monsters. You can give them this. This uh, what are we calling it? Trait. Give them the trait. Traits. Amphibious. Now, how do you suppose if I just I say okay, now this monster is amphibious. What does that do to it? It's aquatic. Um, yeah, it it makes it be able to swim better. And and a lot of uh, enemies have this. Almost in their appearance, right? Like if you're fighting merfolk or if you're fighting, uh, you know, something from the sea, you're like, okay, they're going to be able to swim. Mm-hmm. But I think giving this trait to something that might not otherwise have it is, is pretty interesting. Um, maybe have like a bandit chief dive into the river and swim away. Um, one example I'm thinking of with Amphibious is uh, my players said one of their favorite encounters we ever had at the table was a... Um, uh, and I keep wanting to say Bullywug, uh, but Frog Hemoth. Um, and when, when they realized the Frog Hemoth could swim and how fast it could swim, despite how big and beefy and tanky it is, it was like really cool to see that. They're like, holy crap. Like it really was, you know, I guess had the amphibious trait. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of like amphibiousness can be used for stealth. So like, I'm thinking like a swamp, like an alligator is going to, it's not going to like, stick out and just kind of run up and chomp you but it'll wait till you like wade in and then you know get a free attack on you yep and Mm -hmm. so as far as the game rules from this other system go um i've kind of translated them into 5e speak because they're obviously very different um but so it's not just water movement according to this game it's also it gives you a boost to your agility which makes sense because like your fat frog hemoth who's like so slow and lumbering on land um, is almost weightless in water and can just do all kinds of crazy things. Maybe even getting wholly oh, yeah. new attacks and abilities or more attacks yep. per round just by floating in the water, which is frankly terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, another trait from the game is just armor. Um, this is just a quick little tag you put on something. Let's say um, it's a instead of a armor class boost, it is a damage reduction. Like this creature, this burly uh, armored giant that has like. Uh, <laughs> 
sets of chainmail from the knights he's killed just kind of tied oh. onto his body. Um, I've seen there's that piece of concept art from some game I forget what, um, and his shoes are just made of shields that he's just tied onto the tops of his feet, <laughs> and they're like you know these, these big discs. That shields. rules. Yes. I'm just imagining like a mechanical golem that just like kills knights, and it every time it does it just like adds the armor onto itself, so it's just getting stronger oh and my stronger. Gosh. Like just uh, like eight layers of yeah um, of chainmail and plate. Yeah. poorly affixed and then um, it's just like shields with so many different <laughs> oh. banners from like every like region slain yes like, oh. Oh. so yeah just so by by me putting one little idea of a rule this is not even a rule onto a monster we're already thinking of like okay this thing has it's got the armor tag um this is how it now exists in the world and I think a lot of people are reticent to make the AC of monsters higher because it's really frustrating for players. Like you can see your players be like, oh, a 19 doesn't hit. Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> um, and they're there. Yeah. But I've seen it to where especially players who like like David, who use sharpshooter um, will no longer be able to because they're like, we have to get to this thick hide. We can't do yeah. the what is it? Minus five to, yeah, to hit or whatever yeah, uh, yeah. And, and now they're suddenly trying to set up advantage they're like okay i have to be flanking i have to get my sneak attack set up so that i have advantage so that i can uh you know hit this thing because their armor is so thick mm-hmm. and it's hard to get through um and i think something that has this this thick hide or armor tag to it you should describe it as whenever they get a an 18 and it doesn't hit you shouldn't describe it as like a whiff you shouldn't describe it as just a, you know, airball miss. You should describe it as just not penetrating the armor because that reinforces the flavor of, no, you hit it. You just didn't get through. And so it, yeah. it, it uh, makes the the trait add to the flavor of the fight. Or maybe you you have to – you force them to like think creatively into like reducing the armor. So like if they're fighting like a giant stone golem near lava, like trying to push it in the lava so it like has like – starts to melt so they can actually get through like the external hide wow or, yeah almost know, have doing uh, stuff like that a, yeah so like maybe if you do something it gets rid of one of these traits or you like heat I, metal I, I, on it so like the metal's soft yeah and it's like you can actually, oh that rules yeah so like yeah doing like and rewarding players for like thinking creatively like that to like do things that would you know subvert like the bonus or advantage it has that's great. Mm. And I like how just <laughs> this little conversation has led to an entire encounter with a golem loaded with, like, <laughs> chain mail and plate in and around Let the lava. flavor fly! <laughs> <laughs> um, another one that I liked was uh, Clever. And the, the my rule translation is that it boosts initiative and intelligence. Yeah, I... I really like that. Having um, I'm playing a character. Uh, I'm playing in a five E game for the first time in a long time, and my character is a gunslinger, and so he's a ranger with a pistol. But I put everything into like I got the alert feet. I am a gloomstalker ranger, so everything is for initiative, and I think I have a plus thirteen initiative oh gosh, at geez. level three. Oh my god! And yeah, and so but here's the thing: like after the first round of combat, I'm not nearly as powerful like it's all about the quick draw true um and and so i like the flavor of that especially in this this clever thing like having the alert feet like you cannot be surprised you're always aware of like the room you um think tactically 
Um, yeah, you're always going to go higher on initiative. I think especially leaders, villains, bosses should have this. Just that they should think smarter. You know, if they're the leader of whatever, even if it's goblins, they're probably the smartest goblin. And they should act accordingly. I've, oddly enough, I was thinking of like um, jungle panthers or even um, like velociraptors. Where if you think of like the smartest that a, um, let's say a raptor, right? Like flanking and ambushing. Um, that's way scarier than just a dumb animal that's just going to, you know, run at you. Um, and the initiative bonus too is really scary because I feel like most of the monsters in 5e, they don't ever really get a very big bonus. So let's say Clever gives them a plus 10. All of a sudden you've got a very different situation because like this is a clever enemy and it's really trying to outsmart you, let alone being humanoid. Here's an easy one. It's for all of our alien fans in the audience. Uh, corrosive oh, yeah. blood. Which, oh, yes. Yep. So uh, every wound splashes damaging blood on all nearby targets. I love stuff like this. Or like enemies that explode when they die. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, it's so annoying, but it's so, it's still so fun. It's just such a fun mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, easy to put into like, um, I th- I'm thinking of Iron Man, was Iron Man three? Uh, those people who like explode all the time. Um, you could you could put oh, this yeah. tag, this corrosive blood, on anybody, and then it kind of it raises these questions you have to answer. Like, well, why would the master of the Assassins Guild have corrosive blood? Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it's because he's demonic. Yeah. <laughs> which oh, is our, oh, our next tag. Our next one. <laughs> um, so demonic is a tag you just put on anybody. Uh, it, they don't require food, water, air, and now all their attacks are magical. Easy peasy. Yep. Makes me think of Illidan in Warcraft 3. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> where just all of a sudden he, well, spoilers for like a 20-year-old game. Um, oh, great <laughs> game. It's uh, where he yeah turns into a demon and then starts uh, wrecking havoc. He's uh, uh-huh. hard to kill. You might say he's diehard. <laughs> uh, which is uh coincidentally our next one it's just um, the king of segways <laughs> uh die hard just means that this target is very hard to kill and cannot be crit and has a chance to rise from the dead after being killed oh my god all of those are like very good hard to <laughs> yes. kill cannot be crit and if you do kill it could come back. It'll come back. It doesn't matter. Oh man. I I love enemies with like two separate phases. Um, especially when it's revealed later that they have a second phase. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, he's, you're telling me the bone nog is getting back up? <laughs> like, or you oh, kill the purple worm and it, it just molts into a new, like, body. Oh, there's a, um, what is that video game? It's like Dark Souls, but it's set in, like, uh, it's like an Asian version of it. Um, Asian oh, Souls? Shadows. Yeah, sure. Uh, apparently it's very good, but there's a fight. Um, I saw video game Donkey do this where you kill, like, this monkey beast and you cut off its head and then a second later it gets back up and you fight it again oh that rules yeah I love that. and like it's so frightening when you see that because it's like oh my gosh like he should be dead and yet he dies hard <laughs> um next so this one's really interesting for uh, warhammer especially because there's two versions of this um one of them is prejudice and one is hatred and even players can have these two it's like a debility um oh so, so as a so the one we're talking about here is hatred, which means that um, it cannot resist attacking certain types of enemies. Um, whereas with prejudice, you have to make like a it. saving throw, and there's a you'll just basically uh, say something out loud that will probably cause a fight with that person. So let's say a dwarf <laughs> has his prejudice against elves. Uh, every time an elf enters, he makes a saving throw, and if he fails, he's like you know saying bad things about elves. 
loudly. <laughs> oh, I I love this, yeah. especially for players. Like, I, this is fun for a monster to have. Like, they just, um, or especially a villain, but players, oh, it's just a delight to be like, oh, I really cannot handle being around this kind of thing. Or, oh, yep. a delight. Uh, this is the last few ones. Um, this one is hungry, which I thought was very odd. Um, and that means that after this creature kills something, it has to make a saving throw or else there's a chance it loses its next turn as it just stops to eat whatever it killed. Oh, mm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, uh, you know, if someone goes down um, and then like the monster leans down, you're like, oh, no, he's going to he's going to hit him again and he's going to lose two death saving throws or whatever. But they're like, oh, no. <laughs> He's eating him. <laughs> and then he's going to eat me. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. Oh my god! <laughs> oh man, no, that's a fun one. I really like Hungry. Um, which is pretty monstrous, because imagine you're fighting, um, like, okay, the difference in encounter of... A zombie that is hungry, and a bear that is hungry, and a troll God. that is hungry. Like, what a horrifying... And a Tarrasque that is hungry. Oh, you know, there's just ooh. a huge difference. Ooh. Yeah, he's like <laughs> eating buildings. Oh. Um, right, uh, almost done here with uh, infestation. Um, this The opponents who are attacking this person who's infested, they suffer a penalty. As parasites, usually fleas or something, distract and overwhelm. Um, oh. So I, I'm just seeing, like... Whether they're wild animals covered in, um, you know, just like biting insects, uh, like pig pin from the peanuts. I'm just imagining a zombie covered in leeches, and they just like they oh. start cl- clinging oh. onto you. Dude, I'm imagining uh, like zombies or undead, uh, but they have like almost um, Walking Dead. What do they call that? Uh, not Walking Dead. Um, Last of Us. Uh, like the mushrooms growing out of them. Oh yeah, the spores. But it, yeah, it's spores. But oh, oh, you could even have it with like with like bees. Oh, oh my gosh! Like a corpse like, that like wasps inhabited, yes! but it's still a zombie. Oh, oh my gosh! That's cool. I That's love that. you know what? This is a really fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We're just kidding. Let the flamer fly. Oh, I, we need a flamethrower for sure. Flame on, dude. Um, so this, <laughs> that once again was all the traits. Well, not even all the traits. That was ten of the traits from Warhammer Fantasy RPG from the most recent edition. Um, there's, I think, 40 traits in the game. Um, so obviously there's a lot more. And um, it's really cool to see their monsters that are just like a stat block. And then like it'll say, let's say, amphibious, armored, and demonic. And that's all. That's, that's uh, all that it says. And um, yeah, so it's minimal and also very flavorful in a way that um, that I think you could definitely apply to your, um, your 5e game. For sure, like 100%. All right, and the last one is Matt Colville gets all the credit here uh, for what he calls action-oriented monster design. Have yes. you guys heard of this? Yes, no. I've watched the uh, the video he put out. Okay, oh, well, super. Yeah, changed a lot of ways of thinking. So um, I left some room in here so we can help we can help each other design an action-oriented monster. But the uh, the overview of it is. And I would really recommend anybody go watch his video on that after this because um, I'm going to just summarize a lot of it. Um, he says, action-oriented monsters, they're designed to have specific actions, reactions, bonus actions that trigger off of things that the players are going to do. Um, it's to make combat more dynamic and it's to, let's say, prepare 
instead of having um like a solo monster who's gonna like you're gonna read off the stat block be like oh maybe this time he uses his breath attack this is like oh no on the first round he uses his breath attack and like whenever a yeah. player like uses a, a bonus action he counterspells them or something right um uh-huh. it's just this it's like a little logic thing that you set up for yourself and it uh, it really does make things interesting so for this discussion um i want to make an action-oriented fight out of a mimic because i've been playing a lot of prey lately and the mimic is a very common oh. enemy in that game okay so here's the steps um what is something that would be really fun for a mimic to do at the end of its turn just it's like a like a legendary action let's say i'm thinking like a tongue whip <laughs> or just like a you know something i always imagine that the tongue lashing out after the players, you know, oh, it's not a t- treasure chest. <laughs> it swaps places with, like, a normal object. Oh, that's great. Oh, try to hide? Yeah. I, li- I love that because oh. it's... So you, like, pick it up, and it's, like, it's a chest, and then it bites oh, you, and then dude. it just swaps, okay. and it's a normal chest. So you, like, you're breaking it, oh, but it's my. just a... And there's, like, a room full of different, like, freaking objects. Oh, like, trinkets and you're, stuff? You're, like, in a museum. Oh, my God. <laughs> so me and... Uh, me and my friends have been playing uh, the, the free game on PlayStation 4 last month was uh, Call of Duty World War II. And there's a game mode in there that I've never played until uh, last week called Prop Hunt. Oh, I oh love yeah. Prop and Hunt. this is yeah, yeah, yeah. really like giving me Hunt. Prop Hunt vibes yeah. of, like, <laughs> of like, you know, the mimic is – the mimic isn't trying to just like attack. Um, it's like, oh, I did my attack. And now at the end of my turn, it's like, okay, I'm going to try to go back into camouflage the thing I do best. Like that, that's like obvious now that I think about it. It would try, it wouldn't be in its like bitey form. It would try to disguise itself again to try to get another attack of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Or wouldn't yeah. it even be a surprise attack? If yeah. It, if yeah. It does yeah. It. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's going to swap places with something else in the room, just like teleporting. So you don't even get a chance to see where it went. Um, okay. So we need a good bonus action for the mimic. And a reaction as well. Any I ideas? like something about smoke or like filling the room with uh, smoke or maybe a poison cloud or something that just like because um, in the in the prop hunt, uh, yeah. in World War Two, yeah, you can drop a flashbang if if like <laughs> they spot you, and so it's a really good way of like, and then suddenly you're gone. Um, yeah, something to to add to its like. Or maybe just an attack. No, so this is good because it makes me think that this is not just a fight. You know, you don't just roll initiative and fight till it's dead. It's like it attacks you and then runs and hides somewhere else. And it just keeps harassing the party for like multiple rooms of this museum. I love this, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like what an absolute You're like poking everything. (laughs) The players are just like (laughs) agonizing over uh, (laughs) like lifting everything. Um, Okay, so it's going to... At the end of its turn, it just like runs and hides somewhere. Bonus action is that, um, let's say it, every time it gets hit, and it can do this once per turn, obviously, because you only get one bonus action, um, it just releases like a cloud of dust or, or smoke or something. Um, yeah. And then maybe it, uh, there's a special attack it does or something um, as it tries to run away. Not teleporting, just running away. Or it can just like disengage on a bonus action. Oh, yeah, that could work. Yeah, disengage. And I think in general, um, bonus action reactions are not thought of a lot in monster design, and they should mm. be prioritized um, because they can really add bite to your characters. You're like, how are my zombies dying so quickly? It's like, yeah, you probably aren't using their reactions, their bonus actions, their disengages, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking something of uh, maybe 
whenever it switches places at the end of its turn, the thing that it left in its place, uh, if you break it, it like does damage to you or something. Like maybe it, <laughs> it like, literally uh, a little trap like, behind. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe it like turns into uh, a poison cloud or something, <laughs> or just like shocks so you. Or... <laughs> I know we're creating like this like weird funhouse dungeon room. <laughs> Ugh. Oh man. Okay, and then the last one is that this monster needs like a League of Legends style ult. Like this is something it'll only do in the combat one time, designed to um, just piss off the players. What could we do? It could oh, turn man. something well, else into a mimic that the players have. Oh my gosh! What a pain. yes! Turning. I've done that before. One of my players, their shield was a mimic, and just <laughs> uh, or, or they they put on the shield. Because it was it uh, displayed itself as a magic item, like a plus mm-hmm. one shield, and when they put it on, it just bit them. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing like has oh. it can just like slap something with its tongue, and that thing, whatever it is, just becomes a mimic. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's a great wow! What an absolute like... pain. So it, like it hits the plate <laughs> armor of the paladin, and it just like oozes off of him and attacks him. Oh, that's great because especially you could target their magic items because then for the rest of the encounter, the player, that magic item is like has been been mimicized <laughs> so yeah. they don't get its bonuses. And, and I think the, that at and the if end the mimic of combat, runs away, it stays, it stays a mimic. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So they have to like kill their armor <laughs> and then keep carrying it because when the mimic, the real mimic dies, uh, it's like vampire rules. Uh, then the, oh the transmuted armor, whatever, turns back to the room. Or they have to get, like, remove curse oh. cast on it or something. <laughs> it's yeah. just curse. I love God, I this. I want to play this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. So that is uh, Matt Colville's <laughs> action-oriented monster design, though we did something very different than what he will show you yeah. in that video. <laughs> but we recommend it. It's, it's really good. Whew. Well, um... So out of all the techniques we've discussed, what are the ones you guys think you would actually use moving forward? Hmm. I I really like the idea. I don't know if – I'm just thinking in my monster design, so oftentimes I will be so flavor first that I will just um, put the most scary or uh, logical, you know, verisimilitude of like, oh, what creatures would be around this campfire? Um, and when my players come in and attack, they, they – tend to just just be more tactical than them and they're more smart and so i'm thinking of just running monsters uh thinking about their roles more um and thinking about if combat were to take place like how would they so i guess what i'm trying to say is i'm I'm trying to come at combat more mechanics first like honestly like have the flavor there of course but focus more on the roles and the mechanics and like um when the fight breaks out um Sometimes I love role play and the flavor and drama of a situation more than I do the combat itself. So my game plan will oftentimes stop at when I imagine I'll say roll initiative. Hmm. And I really want to focus on like uh, my tactics after the uh, inevitable roll initiative. Right. David? I think for me, uh, I would – I'd use that if I was to run – like 5v combat, I'd use the chart that you brought up from the DMG. Mm-hmm. And then I'd also have a list of traits and like mechanical stuff for them. And that's all I would need. Like I would never need a monster manual. I would never need oh, anything you're right. else. Because I would I would have all of the unique stuff in the traits, like in a list of the traits. And then I'd have all of just like the stats and damages that can be just averaged out like easily. And that's all I would ever need to like 
run stuff yeah. on the fly. I would never really have to have any monsters prepared because I can just make them up as it goes. And it, and it yeah, just like, I love that. And it would that. be balanced and easy. And like that, that would be probably like my new efficient way of running it. Probably. Wow. Okay. Well, you, you just have to you just have to trust uh, your own improv imagination and yeah. trust the charts, and yep. you're good. Well, with the traits, like if you pre-plan a bunch of like monster like type feats or like um, like we were going through uh, for um, before, if you just like pre-plan a bunch of them, like that's a super easy way of just adding like mashing stuff together, and then you don't really have to worry about like stat blocks at all ever. So, and that's mm. it's funny because what you're describing, David, is um, is more like Dungeon World, where all of the monsters yeah. boil down to a very minimal, like oh they do yep. d6 damage, and like this goblin is fast and slippery, and um, I don't know. Good luck uh, catching him. He's a yeah. oiled up. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's oiled, oiled. oiled goblins. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I was just gonna say the traits probably would be where I'd go, but David. Um, just like what you said about the monster stats, that page from the DMG, um, you're right. Like this makes prep and even playing at the table so dynamic. Yeah. And so, and it would create creatures. The players don't, um, they don't understand or they don't recognize necessarily. Like here's a yeah. shambling mound, like not the actual creature, but just a mound that shambles and you have no idea what it's going to do. It's just going to shamble oh. towards you. What's he going to yeah. do? <laughs> And then uh, to our listeners, if you have any techniques for monster building that you would like to contribute, feel free to email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear. We'd love it. Well, All right. thanks for listening to Vox Arcana episode 66. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time.